you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 13 through 19 in just a couple of moments. As you're turning there, let me remind you of our Wednesday evening classes. Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we have seven adult classes that meet right here in the facility. We also have complete children's ministry, youth ministry going on on Wednesday night. Pick up one of these out of guest services and plan to be a part of our Wednesday evening services beginning this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Seven great teachings that will inspire you and bless you and encourage you and help you grow in the Lord. Tom, I'm just going to have you stay close because I'm not going to be very long this morning. Also, two weeks ago, I passed out a prayer guide for 2016. If you didn't receive one, pick one up at the back as you leave this morning. Ushers, if you'll have those available, I would certainly appreciate it. Asking you to pray for three family members this year, three church members this year, and three folks who don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And then pray for Tallahassee, pray for our nation, pray for Israel, pray for the kingdom of God to be expanded around the world. Thank you to those of you who came last Tuesday and went to the uh, Franklin Graham Prayer Rally down on the steps of the Capitol. Hundreds of people gathered there, and when we pray in a concerted effort, God hears and God answers. Amen? So thank you. Continue to pray with us and fast with us through this 21 days of fasting and prayer as well. This morning I want to talk to you about being bold in your faith in the marketplace. Sociologists tell us that Really, our neighborhood is no longer the people who live on each side of us because many of us don't know the people who are actual neighbors. But our neighborhood has become our workplace. The person at the next cubicle or the next office, those individuals that we see five days a week, eight hours a day, have really become our neighborhood. That's where we really have the most influence and the better relationships. So I want to challenge you this morning to take your faith outside of these walls and let it shine in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in the marketplace. You say, well, preacher, you just don't know what life is like in the marketplace. Oh, I beg to differ with you. Two years ago, I was in the marketplace, had been there for 12 years, working every single day, rubbing shoulders with men and women who didn't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They knew me, they knew I'd been a pastor in the past, and often, time and time again, when problems came into their lives, they would come and say, would you pray for me? I'm here to tell you there is opportunity in the marketplace to show the love of Jesus Christ. And I wanna encourage you to do that today. Kind of reminds me of the story of the priest and the rabbi that were sitting side by side on an airplane. They began talking about the cultural changes in their, in their faith and in our nation. The priest said to the rabbi after a point of conversation, so tell me, are you still restricted from eating pork? You still can't do that? And the rabbi said, yeah, it's still a taboo. We don't eat pork in Judaism. The priest said, okay, I just wonder, so many changes, you really never know. And then he said to the priest, the rabbi said to the priest, well, are you still required to be celibate? And the priest said, yes, uh, we're still required to be celibate. The priest said to the rabbi, well, did you ever fail in that vow and eat some pork? And the guy said, yes, one time I did. I have to admit I did. Then he turned it over to the rabbi and said, did you ever fail in your vows of celibacy and indulge in the flesh? And the priest dropped his head and he said, well, I've got to tell you, yeah, there was one time. The rabbi looked at him and said, it's a lot better than pork, right? <laughs> Some of you will get that tomorrow. Okay. There are changes happening all around us in our culture. Changes that seem to be spinning life out of control that we really don't understand and that are absolutely 
opposing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to turn your attention this morning to Matthew 16 because Jesus gave us some words of encouragement. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who then do do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say I am? And really, that's the question of all time for all ages. Who do you say Jesus Christ really is? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Father, now add your anointing to the ministry of your word. Touch hearts across this room today. Change lives by your Holy Ghost power. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. I wanted you to hear those words of Scripture this morning and help you to understand, regardless of what it looks like on the landscape of American culture, Jesus Christ is still in control. The church is not going down. The church is going forward. We are not losing. We are winning. We are not powerless, but we are filled with power from on high. The confession of Peter is one that we need to build our lives upon. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say in response to that? He said, upon this rock, not the rock of Peter, but upon the rock of Peter's confession, will I build my church. And what's going to happen then? The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. You can unleash any demon, send as many devils as you want, but there is a greater one working in us and through us. His name is Jesus, and he is still victorious. So the good news for the church today is that we still win, amen? He is still in control. But he went on to say in that next verse, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do we really understand he's given us the keys to the kingdom? Do you and I grasp that today? Do we know what that means? Do we understand the the fullness of that statement? It means I don't have to be terrified or afraid. I don't have to sit like a mouse in the corner. I can stand and bring witness to the truth of Jesus Christ wherever I'm at and whomever I may be with. Amen. I can have Ryan Sprague come and talk about the crisis that has affected our culture. Over 53 million abortions since Roe versus Wade. That's a crisis in our culture, folks. And the church too often has remained silent. Why are we silent? He said, I'm going to build my church upon this rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's time to rise up, church of Jesus Christ. It's time to walk in the authority that he's given us and the power that he's endued us with and understand we are here for one reason and one reason only and it's not to look good on Sunday morning. It's not to be blessed by the choir. It's not to say, oh, what fabulous worship, what a great service, and then go out and never mention anything about him. We are here for one reason. 
One reason only, and that's to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, boy, and girl who is within hearing. Oh, friend, when is the time to testify? Anytime there's an opportunity, tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. We were in Austin this past week for a few days with uh, uh, our daughter, and she has four kids. I started to say three. She has four. The oldest is eight, Hudson. We have a tradition in the family that those kids love stories from pops. And I've told them all kinds of stories about the Wild West and Oklahoma and all, most of them true, most of them true. And uh, they love those stories, but on this particular night, Hudson said, pops, tell us a true story. Don't make one up, tell us a true story. I said, okay, I'll tell you a true story. And I started telling them about being in Costa Rica and on the last day there with that building team, I got bit by a two-step snake, didn't realize what had happened, got really sick, told them the whole story about how the doctor from, <clears throat> excuse me, the Smithsonian said to me, well, evidently, he had already, that snake had already taken a bite of something that morning. You just got a little bit of deferred or referred venom. He didn't get a full injection into you because if he would have, you'd have been dead. As I'm telling the story, Hudson stopped me and he said, but Pops, doesn't the Bible say that if you believe in Jesus Christ, oh, come on, you got to be with me here, eight years old, doesn't the Bible say if you believe in Jesus Christ, if a snake bites you, nothing's going to happen to you? I said, I hear you, son. I got a witness. Come on. We need to have the faith of a child. When we see an opportunity, we stop and we say, wait a minute, that doesn't resonate with the word of God. This is what the word says. We need to understand we have been given a power and a responsibility to affect our culture. According to Al Mollier, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Association, Christians are the new moral outlaws in America. Think about it. It very well could be that there will come a time in the United States of America when we stand for Christian principles, it could get us into trouble. Right now it gets into trouble socially. It could get you into trouble economically. It could even get you into trouble legally or criminally. Criminally. It's ironic that we aren't supposed to impose our views on others, but others can say anything they want about the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, we need to understand this is the day and the age when the church must stand for Jesus Christ. We are still victorious. There is still one truth. I've got news for you, folks. There are not multiple roads to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And if that offends you, get over it. It's the Word of God. Someone said, why do you say things like that? You're going to offend somebody. Listen, if you're here for five minutes, I'm going to offend you. I'll assure you of that. So get over it and let's move on. I saw something not long ago that said in 2015, everybody was offended by everything. 2016 should be the year we all grow up. Amen. I like that. Grow up. Get past it. Get beyond it. So very quickly, and I'm probably not going to get past the first two points in your outline this morning. Very quickly, I want to share with you a few things that help us to stand in a difficult time, in a difficult culture. The first thing I want you to do is remember the church of Jesus Christ exists for a supernatural change. We need to understand everything about the church is supernatural. There's nothing natural about it except you and me. Everything from its beginnings, you remember how it all started? He came as a, a baby born of a virgin in a manger. He came as a miracle of God. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross, and the third day he rose again from the dead. 
It's miraculous. And then he comes to you and I and he brings salvation into our hearts and into our lives. Read Acts chapters 1 through 12. It's a period of about 10 to 14 years, depending on who you listen to. And it's the story of the church beginning in Jerusalem and spreading across the then known world. It's a story of great miraculous power. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it'll be on your screen. The Bible says these words, Jesus to his disciples, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world. So the first promise of Jesus to the church was a promise of power. He said, you're going to receive power, power to what? To be witnesses unto me. In a culture that is opposed to God, we need to be powerful witnesses. We need to be able to say, look what the Lord has done for me. We need to be able to declare, I know he's real because what he's done in my heart and my life. Oh, come on, folks, there's nothing wrong with saying, I did have an abortion, but I found forgiveness. God's put a song back in my heart today, and I'm here to help somebody who may be in that situation and let them know there is a way out and there is hope for tomorrow because Jesus loves us. We need to be able to say, yes, I was a drunkard. I was a drug addict. I was unfaithful. I was this, I was that. But I found Jesus, and through a supernatural power, something happened in me that changed me from the inside out. Oh, come on, we need to be powerful witnesses unto Jesus Christ. You go on through the book of Acts chapter 2. You find that Peter stands on the day of Pentecost and begins to declare Jesus Christ and him crucified as the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel. And the Bible says, I believe it's in verse 39 or 40, they were cut to the heart, those who were listening were cut to the heart, and they said, what do we have to do to be saved? See, friend, when you have a powerful witness, it's not words falling on deaf ears. It's the words of your mouth anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit falling on a heart that's being convicted by the same Holy Spirit and causing them to say, what do I have to do to know this Jesus? And then you can read it in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and 3,000 were added that day. That's what we need to see in Tallahassee. Come on, folks. I'm tired of five or six or seven people saved on a Sunday morning. I'm looking for dozens. Can you say amen? I'm looking for scores to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a crying shame that every seat in this place isn't filled. We need to do more to bring them in. I challenge you, every one of you, reach one person today. Reach one person for Jesus Christ. Bring them into the house of God. Let God transform and change their lives through his great power. And then you turn to Acts chapter 3. In the daily course of business, Peter and John are going to the temple to worship. And outside the gate beautiful, there is a guy who hasn't walked in his entire life. And he held up his little cup, and no doubt he shook it with a coin in it, asking them for an offering asking them to give him something. And Peter stopped. I believe he stopped under the impression of the Holy Spirit. You see, I believe he had walked past that guy many times before. I believe he had seen him. He may have even knew who he was. He had walked past him time and time and time again. I believe that. But on that particular morning, the Spirit of God stopped him, and he looked at that lame man. Now listen, this is what I'm saying. 
You need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so that when he wants to interrupt your day, you hear what he's saying and you respond to his request. For you see, that lame man had a cup he was holding up, wanting an offering. He knew what he thought he wanted. But Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knew what he needed. You need to catch that principle. It's absolutely true. Folks all around you think they know what they want, but the Holy Ghost knows what they need. And it's your responsibility as a born-again, spirit-filled believer to bring them what they need to bring them the truth of God's word, to bring them the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm telling you, it's not right for the church to be powerless and inept. We have already been endued with power from on high. It's time for the church to stand up and move in that dimension where God does miraculous things. So Peter, and you can read it in Acts chapter two, it says, fixed his eyes upon him and he said, look at me. And then what did he say? He said, silver and gold have I none. I don't have anything that you want. I don't have anything that you expect. I can't meet your need for daily bread. Silver and gold have I none. Do you recognize the greatest need of mankind is not physical, but is spiritual? It starts on the inside. Oh, come on, church. We can help everybody that has a need, but until we address the heart of man, nothing is going to change. I'm so thankful that Glenn and Beth Burns are here. I'm so thankful for the lives that are being changed through the ministry because they understand it's not about putting clothes and giving a roof over the head. It's about changing a heart for Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for Ryan Sprague being here this morning because Ryan understands it's not about birth control. It's not about diet. Diagnosis. It's not about sonograms. It's about changing a heart for Jesus Christ. Folks, I believe anything we can do to reach men at that point of need, we need to do. So Peter said, I don't have what you're looking for. I don't have what you want. I don't have what you think you need, but I have what God has for you. The guy had never walked in his life, not even once. And Peter said to him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the Bible says he took him by the hand and lifted him up. And his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Why? Because one man said, I don't have what you want, but I've got what you need. Oh, come on, church, get that in your spirit. You may not have what the world wants, but you sure have what they need. What the world needs is Jesus Christ. Oh, they need to know some amazing grace. I love that song that we sang this morning. I love the fact that grace is amazing each and every day. I love the fact that the reservoir never runs dry. And every time I need some more, I breathe in some grace and I breathe out some praise. Oh, come on. It's time to be a vessel of grace. We don't need to be condemning anyone. That's not necessary. That's not your job. That's the Holy Ghost's job. He convicts men of their unrighteousness. It's our God to show them, our job to show them grace. That's what's happening with our community partners, with the Fies Center, with the Good Samaritan Network, with the Chelsea House. That's what's happening with the Woodlands and with Teen Challenge. They're being shown grace on a daily basis, and through grace, they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, church. That's what the world needs. They need some grace flowing through our lives. Peter did not have what the man wanted, but he had what he needed, which was the power of Jesus Christ. 
Acts chapter 4, you can read that scripture. Peter and John are preaching in the temple. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they're all upset by what's going on. They're making a ruckus. People are being converted and coming to Jesus Christ. They're walking away from their dead, lifeless religion, and they're finding life in him. Well, I've come to tell you, if you're dissatisfied with religion, so am I. If you're fed up with religion, so am I. But I've got news for you. There is a God that loves you, that cares for you. He isn't restricted or cloaked by the rules and the regulations of your church, of your religion. He'll break through all that mess and he'll bring life to you if you'll simply reach out to him. They were upset. Things were being disrupted. Jerusalem wasn't the same. Oh, I long for the day when somebody says Tallahassee just isn't the same. There's a bunch of those radical, crazy, wacko Christians, and they're turning this city upside down. Oh, come on, pray with me to that end. 2016 is the year that we turn this city upside down for Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be this way because it's always been this way. It's a day for change in Tallahassee. You can read it in Acts chapter 4. They called them before the Sanhedrin. This is the religious ruling body. And the Sanhedrin said, we don't want you to speak anymore in this name. Enough of this nonsense. And this is what Peter said. Verses 11 and 12. The stone was, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation, I love it, nor is there salvation in any other name. There is no name given under heaven among which men must be saved. There's only one way. Let me say it again. You say, you're per narrow. Yeah, I am. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. He's the only one that ever died for your sins and rose again from the dead. There is no other way to heaven, no other way to the Father, no other way to peace, no other way to contentment, no other way to forgiveness, no other way to joy, no other way to eternal life except through Jesus Christ. No other name given among men which we must be saved. And you can read in verses 16 and 17, the Sanhedrin said to themselves, what are we going to do with this bunch? What are we going to do with these men? A notable miracle has been done. Now they're talking about the lame man, all right? This dude they all knew sitting outside the gate, beautiful. They knew him too. They had walked past him too. Matter of fact, sometimes I wonder when Jesus saw things like that, maybe that's what prompted the parable of the Good Samaritan. When he saw the religious folks walk right by the need and turn their head the other way. Walk right by the need and ignore it completely. Maybe that's what prompted the parable of the Good Samaritan. Peter was arrested by the Holy Spirit, stopped in his tracks, fixed his eyes upon him, and healing was the result. He didn't give him what he wanted. He gave him what he needed. And now in chapter 4, he's answering for what God did through him. What are we going to do with these guys? There's no doubt a notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem we can't deny the miracle. Oh, folks, you need to catch this. When the church is moving the way God intends for the church to move, people cannot deny that there is a God in the heaven, that he is alive, that he is real because of what he has done. I know I'm on a tangent, but I've got to say this this morning. It's time for you to stop being ashamed of where you were and begin to declare what God has done to get you where you're at. Come on. So many times we're afraid if somebody knows my story, they're going to look down on me. 
I got news for you. If they look down on you, it's their problem, not yours, because God has forgiven you. God has cleansed you. God has created a new heart and a clean spirit within you, and you should be rejoicing that I'm not the man or the woman I used to be. Tell somebody a story. Let it be an encouragement to them and help them get through their difficult place in life. We can't deny what's going on. When God is doing something, it's undeniable. And when God's not doing something, it's undeniable. Yeah. Let that resonate for just a moment. When the church is dead, it's undeniable. When the Holy Ghost isn't present, it's undeniable. When God isn't showing up on a regular basis, it's undeniable. It's just stuff as usual. And then, all right, church, I'm going to talk to you. If you're not a part of this church, you can close your ears right now. All right, put your fingers in your ears. Maybe you're a part of another church, so you need to hear it too. You see, when God isn't present in a church, then we get caught up in all our little petty preferences, all our crazy little arguments and fights. It's all about me, and if you don't do it my way, I'm going to go to the highway. My word for you is hit the door. Hit the door. We don't need that kind of an attitude that inhibits what God is doing and what he wants to do. When God isn't present, it's obvious. Good grief, I know a church that split some years ago because they went from glass communion cups to those little plastic things like we use. Now, that's something to fight about. That shows your spiritual maturity. When we fight over things that are insignificant in light of eternity. You want to fight? I'll fight with you. You're talking doctrine that matters in eternity. If you're talking things that matter scripturally, you bet. It's root hog or die. But I'm not going to fight about the color of the carpet or the kind of music we sing or what it looks like in the sanctuary. That's a bunch of garbage. Get it out, get it off, and move on. Amen. Some of you agree with me. The rest of you will pray you come to enlightenment. We can't deny what's happened. This is a notable miracle. But, verse 17 of Acts 4, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in his name. Are you kidding me? These dudes had been with the resurrected Christ. These guys had just seen a lame man walk. These guys had seen 5,000 fed from a few loaves and a few fishes. Oh, they were in the boat that night when they thought they were going to perish and Jesus was asleep in the back and they woke him up and they said, don't you even care? We're about to die. And he stood up and he spoke these words, peace, be still. And the waves calmed. They were there. They were there. Oh, they were there that morning when Mary came running back from the tomb and saying, the Savior isn't there. He is risen. It was these two guys, Peter and John, who ran back to the graveyard and they found the tomb empty. The stone rolled away. Oh, come on, folks. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you think the threats of man are going to matter to someone who has seen a risen Christ? To someone who's experienced his miraculous hand? Let me ask you right now. Anybody in this room ever been touched by the power of God? You've been healed? 
If you've been delivered, come on, hold them up and hold them there. Cameras pan around right quick. Hold them up and hold them there. You've been healed. You've been delivered. You've been set free. Your marriage, your family has been restored. Your children got saved. Oh, come on, folks. When you know what he's done, nobody can tell you to be quiet. It's time to be bold in the marketplace. It's time to take this gospel to those who have never heard. You can read it on, and I'm going to try to wrap this up very quickly. You can read it on Acts chapter 5. They put these dudes in prison. He said, if you won't shut up, we're going to throw you in jail. So they put them in jail. And they left them there all night, they thought. But the scripture says, the angel of the Lord came in the night, opened the prison doors, and led them out. Oh, what am I saying? I'm saying the word of God is not going to be bound. You can't lock it up. You can't shut it away. When God wants the word preached, it doesn't matter what the world tries to do. The word will be preached. Let him out. And the next morning, they were back in the temple doing the same thing again. And they, the Sanhedrin sends the guards down to the prison to get these guys. They got there. Their doors are locked. Peter and John are gone. Can you imagine having to go back to your boss? We don't understand. We locked him up last night. The place was secure. But when we went down this morning, it's still secure, but they're gone. We don't know what happened to them. And then someone said, they're back in the temple. They're doing it again. They're doing it again. Oh, what's the church learned from that? The church learns that it doesn't matter what you are enduring, what you're going through. Our mission as a church is to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. To let them know there is a Savior. There is a Savior. The Bible goes on to say, pull them back in before the Sanhedrin. In verse 29 of Acts chapter 5, this is what the Bible said. Peter said, it's better that we obey God rather than man. It's better to obey God rather than man. And they beat them and sent them out. But the Bible goes on to say in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, they did not cease to declare his wonderful works. You can beat them, you can lock them up, you can threaten them, but I got news for you. That's just fertilizer on the soil of God's word and it makes his word grow, his kingdom expand. Oh, if opposition is out there, rejoice that you've been counted worthy to suffer shame in his name. Understand he is able to see you through. He is able. Listen, I'm going to wrap it up. There's never been a time in this culture or any culture where change through the gospel of Jesus Christ was popular. There's never been a time when a call for repentance was received by the masses. But that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to declare the life-changing word of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to tell everyone who will listen what a great God, what a marvelous Savior, what a great God we actually serve and live for each and every day. We live in a culture that is currently hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in hostility, the gospel grows. Yan and Cutie, would you stand? Jason and Wynn, I saw you right back there. Would you two stand, please? The four of you, would you stand? Jason and Wynne, yes, please. See, these folks, they understand culture, governments that are hostile to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But I am so thankful 
if there's a father of one of these young girls who is in this church who accepted Jesus as a savior, who's back in China doing something to change that nation. I'm so thankful for Jason and Wynn that God has called them out of darkness and brought them into his light. They received him as Lord and Savior. And I'm so thankful that your brother Wynn accepted Jesus Christ. He's back in China doing things to bring the gospel to the lost. Oh, come on, somebody. Understand when culture is hostile, the gospel grows. Do you know? Do you know there are more born again believers in China than there are members of the Communist Party? Oh, come on. When the gospel faces hostility, it grows in Jesus' name. Thank you. You can be seated. Across this place today, it's time for you to shrug off the fear and embrace the faith that causes you to be like Peter and say, I don't have what you want, but I've got what you need. I don't have what you're looking for, but I've got what you need. I can't change your day today, but I can change your eternity. Oh, come on, church, get it into your spirit. You may not have what your family wants, but you've got what they need. You may not have what your coworker wants, but you've got what they need. You may not have what that friend wants, but you've got what they need. You need to open your mouth and as Peter declare, I don't have what you want, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up out of that position of lameness and walk in his power. Stand your feet with me across this room. That song says, in Jesus' name. We're going to do it this morning. I want you to sing it out, Tom. Sing with power and authority. In Jesus' name. Sing it out this morning.